All right, well, it's good to see you in the house of the Lord this evening. It's good to have uh, friends of Welch's Chip and Dory with us tonight. Trust you make them feel welcome. If you would, take your Bible and turn to Psalm chapter 20. Psalm chapter 20. <clears throat> Psalm chapter 20. <clears throat> Beginning at verse 1, the Lord hear thee in the day of trouble, the name of the God of Jacob defend thee, send thee help from the sanctuary, and strengthen thee out of Zion. Remember all thy offerings, and accept thy burnt sacrifice, Selah. Grant thee according to thine own heart, and fulfill all thy counsel. We will rejoice in thy salvation, in the name of our God we will set up our banners, the Lord fulfill all thy petitions. Now know I that the Lord saveth his anointed. He will hear him from his holy heaven with the saving strength of his right hand. Some trust in chariots and some in horses. But we will remember the name of the Lord our God. They are brought down and fallen, but we are risen and stand upright. Save, Lord, let the king hear us when we call. I titled the message tonight, The Importance of the Sanctuary. The Importance of the Sanctuary. Let's have a word of prayer. Heavenly Father, we do thank you again for the privilege and opportunity we have to meet together, to encourage, to sing praises under the glorious name. For truly thou art worthy of our praise and honor and worship. Father, as we look into the word of God tonight, I pray that you encourage our hearts and strengthen us and challenge us. And may you be glorified in your church. By Christ Jesus, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. The importance of the sanctuary. <clears throat> the word sanctuary is used in the Bible 137 times. It's used to refer to the tabernacle in the wilderness and the temple, of course, that Solomon built. It's only used four times in the New Testament, all in the book of Hebrews. In the book of Hebrews, it's used this way, Hebrews 8.1 says, Now the things which we have spoken, this is a sum. We have such an high priest who has set on the right hand of the throne of the majesty in the heavens, a minister of the sanctuary and of the true tabernacle, which the Lord pitched, not man. So it's obvious reference to the Lord Jesus Christ. And it says he's a minister of the sanctuary that's in heaven, which the Lord pitched, not man. It's just, there's, a, there's a tabernacle in heaven. Of course, Moses was told to make a tabernacle like the pattern of the one in heaven. But anyway, and then in Hebrews 9, verses 1 and 2, it says, it's used twice, There verily the first covenant had also ordinances and divine service, and a worldly sanctuary, of course, according to the tabernacle on earth. For there was a tabernacle made, the first, wherein was the candlestick and the table, the showbread, which is called the sanctuary. So it's obvious from this passage, he's talking about the holy place, not just the tabernacle in general, but the holy place, a specific place. And then Hebrews 13, 11, For the bodies of those beasts whose blood is brought into the sanctuary, again referring to that holy place, or the holy of holies, by the high priest for sin are bound without the camp. So it's obvious from its usages in the Bible that the word sanctuary refers to a specific place that God said he would meet with his people and a place where they were to worship him. Now, as we think about this, this place where God has 
ordained that he be worshipped or he be, that his people meet. We find in the Old Testament, of course, God established such a place uh, to meet with him. In Exodus chapter 40, in Exodus chapter 40, it was the tabernacle. As the children of Israel were in the wilderness and Moses instructed to make a tabernacle, <clears throat> excuse me, where uh, the Lord would meet with his people and where they would bring their sacrifices. In Exodus 40 and verse 33, says, And he reared up the court round about the tabernacle and the altar and set up the hanging of the court gate. So Moses finished the work. Then a cloud covered the tent of the congregation, and the glory of the Lord filled the tabernacle. And Moses was not able to enter into the tent of the congregation because the cloud abode thereon, and the glory of the Lord filled the tabernacle. So when Moses had finished all the preparations and, and the setting up of the tabernacle, then the glory of the Lord filled it. You know, to give and it's, it's evidence that this was God's chosen place because he filled it with his presence. He filled it with his presence. And again, in 1 Kings chapter 8, we, that, that place is transferred to the temple. To the temple. Uh, 1 Kings chapter 8, and we see a, a similar thing happening here, where God authenticates this place with his with this cloud, we call it this, it's called referred to often as a Shekinah glory cloud. First Kings eight verse ten says, and it came to pass when the priests were come out of the holy place that the cloud filled the house of the Lord, so the priests could not stand to minister because of the cloud, for the glory of the Lord had filled the house of the Lord. So again, after uh, Solomon had finished all the, you know, and they'd, they'd finished the building of the, the temple. And they, they put the Ark of the Covenant in there and they pulled the staves out and they, and they withdrew from there. The glory of God, again, filled the house. Again, authenticating by the Lord, this is where you meet. This is where you bring your sacrifice. In fact, the Old Testament, the children of Israel were, were told, expressly told, not to bring any sac- or do any sacrificing anywhere else. In fact, look at Deuteronomy chapter 16. Deuteronomy chapter 16. Because there's a relationship in the scriptures between leaving God's chosen place and leaving God. They happen at the same time. Deuteronomy 16, verse 5, it says, Thou mayest not sacrifice the Passover within any of thy gates which the Lord thy God giveth thee. Now, this is not referring to the Passover lamb which the families killed. This is referring to a sacrifice, not the eating of the Passover. Uh, it's a different kind of thing here. I'm not sure why they use the word Passover, but, but it is. But anyway, as we'll see, we'll see the difference here. It says, But at the place, verse 6, which the Lord thy God shall choose to place his name in, there thou shalt sacrifice the Passover at evening, at the going down of the sun, at the season, as thou camest forth out of Egypt. And thou shalt roast and eat it in the place which the Lord thy God shall choose. And thou shalt turn in the morning and go unto thy tents. So this, they, were, they were to congregate at the tabernacle to do this sacrifice and to eat this sacrifice. And then it says they were to go home. So it's not, you know, they ate the Passover. But the, the typical Passover we think about, it, they ate at home. And they put the blood over the door and down the lentils. And they ate that at home. But this is, this is different. This is a sacrifice. 
Six days, verse 8 says, Six days thou shalt eat unleavened bread, and on the seventh day shall be a solemn assembly to the Lord thy God. Thou shalt do no work therein. So there was an assembly of the people at the tabernacle, and of course later at the temple, and, and you can read about that in Chronicles where, where it talks about the Passover that uh, Josiah um, um, started the Passover, had a Passover again, which they hadn't had for a long time, and they killed you know, thousands of sheep and oxen and, and fat cattle and so on and so forth. It wasn't just lambs they killed you know, and, and ate a Passover at home. No, this, is, this was a sacrifice. And God explicitly told them they were to do it nowhere else. Uh, James Fawcett Brown in a commentary said this, quote, The Passover was to be observed nowhere but in the court of the tabernacle or the temple, as it was not a religious feast or sacramental occasion merely, but an actual sacrifice. The blood had to be sprinkled on the altar in the place where the true Passover was afterwards to be sacrificed for us, of course, referring to Christ. So, you know, they were strictly commanded... You know, they were not to sacrifice in high places, in the groves, but Bethel and Dan. Remember later when the kingdom was divided, Jeroboam made altars at Bethel and one at Dan. They were, and of course, they, they were doing this, you know, during the days of uh, judges also, but they had been ex- expressly forbidden to do such things. God had established a place to meet with him. And that was in the Old Testament. It was the temple and the tabernacle, his chosen places. In the New Testament, it's the church. Go to Acts chapter 2. And God again gives a sign or authenticates his chosen place where his people are to meet. And that is in the church or the churches. Acts chapter 2 and verse 1. When the day of Pentecost was fully come, they were all with one accord in one place. Suddenly there came a sound from heaven as of a rushing mighty wind, and it filled all the house where they were sitting. And there appeared unto them cloven tongues like as of fire, and it sat upon each of them. They were all filled with the Holy Ghost and began to speak with other tongues as the Spirit gave them utterance. And there were dwelling at Jerusalem Jews, devout men out of every nation under heaven. Now when this was noised abroad, the multitude came together and were confounded, because that every man heard them speak in his own language. They were all amazed and marveled, saying one to another, Behold, are not all these which speak Galileans? And how hear we every man in our own tongue, or in our own language, wherein we were born? So, here again, with the death and resurrection of Christ, and the fulfilling of the Old Testament pictures, that is, the Passover, that was a picture of Christ who was to come, uh, and, and now the churches are the ordained places where God meets with his people corporately, just like the temple and the tabernacle of the Old Testament. In fact, look at Revelation chapter 1. And, of course, the, the tongues and the, and the, the uh, clothes of fire uh, were signs, simply sign gifts. You know, some people call this the baptism of the Spirit. And it's simply a sign gift. It, it ceased. And, it, and it's interesting that, Everyone that was there was Jews. The Jews seek a sign. And, of course, it wasn't an unknown language. It was everyone spoke in its own language. But in Revelation chapter 1, we see this um, principle restated that the church is a place where God meets with his people. We looked at this Sunday night a little bit. 
But Revelation chapter 1 and verse 20, it says, The mystery of the seven stars which thou sawest in my right hand, and the seven golden candlesticks. The seven stars are the angels of the seven churches, and the seven candlesticks which thou sawest are the seven churches. So the candlesticks are the churches. And these were literal churches at that time. And then in chapter 2, verse 1, it says, Under the angel of the church of Ephesus write, These things saith he that holdeth the seven stars in his right hand, who walketh in the midst of the seven golden candlesticks. So again, the, the church is a place where God meets with his people. The Lord Jesus Christ is walking in the midst of his church. Remember in Matthew 18, he says, Where two or three are gathered together in my name, there I am in the midst of them. And so the church is the place, the sanctuary, you might say, where God meets with his people in this, this time period, in this age, what we call the age of the churches. Uh, and, and so as we think about the church or the sanctuary, whether it be the Old Testament tabernacle and temple or the church, notice, I'll notice several things about it. Of course, we're going to apply it to the church tonight because that's the age where we're not living in the, in the days of the temple or the tabernacle, so that don't apply to us. But, but it is a place, first of all, it is a place of answers. Now, if you go back to Psalms, chapter 20, verses 1 and 2, it says, The Lord hear thee in the day of trouble. The name of God of Jacob defend thee. Send thee help from the sanctuary and strengthen thee out of Zion. Now, the word hear here, means to answer. In other words, he heard, he's answering. So it means to answer, it means to respond. And again, the word send there in verse 2, send thee help. The word send means to inform by a messenger. So it's a place of answers. Uh, And you have two parts here of a typical church service. You have preaching and teaching, and you have hearing. The two main elements, the basic parts of a church service. You have the teaching and preaching of the word of God and the hearing of the word of God. Those two things are necessary. Of course, 1 Thessalonians 5.20 says, despise, not prophesy. In other words, hear, hear the word of God as it's preached. And has the, prophesying has to do with preaching. Uh, and as we think about it, it's a place of answers. I have several things I want to note. First of all, it's a place of rebuke and exhortation. And we're going to be looking at a lot of scriptures tonight. So go to 2 Timothy chapter 4. 2 Timothy chapter 4, verses 1 through 4. It's a place of, of rebuke and exhortation. You know, you, you, rebuke is telling you what's not right. Exhortation is encouragement to do right. I charge thee, therefore, for 2 Timothy 4, 1. I charge thee, therefore, before God and the Lord Jesus Christ, who shall judge the quick and the dead at his appearing in his kingdom, preach the word, be instant in season, out of season, reprove, rebuke, exhort with all long-suffering and doctrine, for the time will come when they will not endure sound doctrine, but after their own lust shall they heap in themselves teachers having itching ears, and they shall turn away their ears from the truth, and shall be turned unto fables. So, the, the church is to be a place where there is rebuke and exhortation. It's like it says, reproof, rebuke, exhort with all long-suffering and doctrine. Of course, there has to be, you know, the giving of the truth, 
and the hearing of the truth, both of which you are, they're not doing in this passage. They're said there'll be a falling away from. You notice in verse 3, time will come when they will not endorse sound doctrine. After their own lust shall they heap to themselves teachers having itching ears. So there's going to be teachers that are itch their ears. They're not going to rebuke. They're not going to rebuke. Uh, you know, they're going to say, well, I just, I just, I'm just a positive. You know, Joel Osteen said, I'm just a positive guy. I don't talk about those things that are negative, you know. Um, you know, all positive. No, we're supposed to have birth. both. Both are necessary. And, and there needs to be both in the church. You know, and we find examples of this throughout the New Testament in 1 Corinthians. You, know, you go through the book of Corinthians, for example. In the first three chapters of Corinthians, Paul rebukes them over their carnality and their divisions that are among them. And their divisions are evidence of their carnality. He said, you're, you're, you know, is Christ divided? You know, are you not carnal? And, and, and then in chapter 3 and verses 11 through the end of the chapter, he says, you know, we're going to be examined by the Lord, not by Peter, not by Paul, and not by Apollos. It's the Lord. It's his word. There ought not to be divisions. One saying, I'm following Paul, and one said, I'm following Peter, and one saying, we all follow the same Lord, and so should you. It was the idea there. And he rebukes them for it and encourages them to follow the Lord. Uh, in chapter 5, he rebukes them, there's fornication among you. And you need to vote him out. He, they encourage him, he encourages them to vote them out. In chapter 6, you're going to the world, taking one another to court and not before the world. Don't you know you're going to judge the world? Can't you judge yourselves? Uh, <clears throat> You know, chapter 7, there's answers concerning marriage. And chapter 11, the order of authority and symbols of, of, and symbols of that is the hair. Uh, and, and then chapter 12, he speaks of spiritual gifts. And the spiritual gifts, you know, they, they were, of course, they were priding themselves in their spiritual gifts. But again, these, with these divisions, it was a matter of boasting. And he says spiritual gifts are to profit the whole, not just one, not to lift oneself up with pride but the prophet, the whole assembly. Chapter 13, he told him what real love was. And so on. So you see, you know, this, it, the church is a place of rebuke and exhortation. Uh, and really what Paul was doing was answering questions or problems that they had that pertained to their livelihood, their lives. It's also a place, I know this sounds kind of childish, but it's a place where we're told how to behave. 1 Timothy 3.15 says, If I tarry long, thou mayest know how thou oughtest to behave thyself. In the house of God, which is the church of the living God, the pillar and ground of the truth. And the word behave means to walk of the manner of life and moral character to conduct oneself or simply to behave oneself. You know, we tell our children, why don't you behave yourself? You know, sometimes we need to tell how to behave ourselves. Um, and, and when we have, a, we have a, 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 a Bible that tells us how we ought to act or behave as God's children. You know, Peter said in 1 Peter 1.17, if you call on the Father without respect of persons, judgeth according to every man's work, pass the time of your sojourning here in fear, 
So we ought to live in reverence for God in our conduct, in our demeanor, in our dress, in our attitudes, how we, how we you know, uh, uh, you know, conduct ourselves in this world. Ephesians five or Ephesians four and five. There's there's five times the word walk is used. Uh, Ephesians four one. He says, "What a walk worthy of the Lord, of the vocation wherewith you're called." You know, it's sort of like it's our occupation as a Christian. That's our occupation. That's what we're to occupy ourselves as a child of God. It's the most important thing in our life. Walk worthy. In verse 17 of chapter 4, he says, walk not. In other words, don't walk like the Gentiles walk in the vanity of their mind. Don't think about you know, living for vain things or empty things. We have a purpose and a meaning to life. Chapter 5, verse 2 says to walk in love. To walk in love means to walk in obedience or that which is pleasing in Christ. And, and he, he gives us, you know, talks about things that are becoming as a child of God not in fornication or concupiscence, which has to do with just unrestrained, undisciplined uh, life, life, uh, lifestyle. Uh, so, so walk in obedience or as pleasing to Christ. Ephesians 5.8, he says, walk as children of light. You know, light reveals things as they really are. Um, you know, if you see something in the dark, you're not going to see it as it really is. You know, I was, I was in a house, uh, I guess it was yesterday, and uh, I was going along, and the, the guy wanted me to fix some stress cracks and a nail pop. And, and so I was going around patching uh, stress cracks in the wall and nail pops, and I turned around, and there's a, there's a, a beam, uh, uh, like a, uh, an entryway hallway here. And, and right here, yeah, I thought, almost looks like there's a stress crack there. And, and I said, I said, it almost looks like there's a stress crack. I walked over to it, and, and I could barely see it. It's because the light was poor there. I had trouble seeing it. He said, that's okay. Nathan fixed that in a year ago, and it's already cracked again. Don't worry about it. <laughs> had nothing to do with Nathan fixing it. But it's just, it just cracked again. But because the light was poor there, it wasn't as evident as the one over here. See, light would have, if I'd have got a flashlight and put a light, shine, shine it on it, it would have been very evident. See, light reveals things as they really are. And if we are children of God, we ought to be proving, judging, and examining things as they really are. You know, the world lives in a lot of confusion. They don't know up from down, right from wrong, they're in darkness. They're in darkness. And you see, if we are children of light, it enables us to walk, that's the fifth one in verse 15, to walk circumspectly or wisely, redeeming the time because the days are evil. See, the, the Bible, the, the church is a place where we can be instructed on how to behave, how to conduct ourselves as children of God. It's a place, thirdly, where we are perfected. I look at Ephesians chapter 4, Ephesians chapter 4, and verses 11 through 16. Ephesians chapter 4, verse 11 says, And he gave some apostles, some prophets, and some evangelists, and some pastors and teachers 
for the perfecting of the saints, for the work of the ministry, for the edifying of the body of Christ, till we all come in the unity of the faith and of the knowledge of the Son of God, unto a perfect man, unto the measure of the stature of the fullness of Christ, that we henceforth be no more children, tossed to and fro and carried about with every wind of doctrine, by the slight of men and cunning craftiness, whereby they lie in wait to deceive. But speaking the truth in love may grow up into him in all things, which is the head, even Christ, from whom the whole body, fitly joined together and compacted by that which every joint supplieth, according to the effectual working in the measure of every part, maketh increase of the body unto the edifying of itself in love. So it's a place where we are perfected. You know, he, he is given to the church, you know, pastors and teachers, evangelists, for the perfecting, he says, of the saints, so that we may grow and mature, so that we can do the work of the ministry. You know, he wants us to grow and mature, so it will be grounded and settled. You know, it brings, it brings, you know, being perfected or growth brings unity in the church. Look at verse 13. Till we all come in the unity of the faith and in the knowledge of the Son of God, unto a perfect man, unto the measure of the stature of the fullness of Christ. You know, as, as, as we mature in our walk with the Lord, we agree more than more, more and more. Because we're following the same Lord. If we have the same Bible and, 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 uh, uh, and we're following the Lord and, and, and hearing the preaching the word of God, we're going to agree more and more. It's going to create a unity, not something you have to make superficially. You know, the ecumenical crowd talks about unity in diversity. Did I miss something somewhere? How do you have unity in diversity? You know, there's no unity there. All, all that is is a forsaking or laying aside of major doctrines of the Bible so they can agree on one or two things or three things or whatever or the five major fundamentals of the of the scriptures, which they say you have to believe in order to be saved. Sorry, I really don't agree with that phrase. I think there's a little more to it than that, but we'll see. But, no, as we, as we grow and are perfected, it'll, it'll actually bring about, it'll be automatic, a unity. It creates a stability. Notice in verse 14, that we henceforth be no more children tossed to and fro. You know, a little child, you can teach them just about anything. And they believe it. I mean, you could teach them one year in evolution, and the next year in creation, or the next year in evolution, they'd probably believe you all three times. You know, they're simple. They lack understanding. They, they haven't been able yet to reason that out and come to their own conclusions. No, but you see, when we are perfected, it makes us more stable. We have understanding. Verse 14, it creates a oneness of a body working together. Verses 15 and 16, it says, But speaking the truth in love may grow up in him in all things, which is the head, even Christ, from whom the whole body fitly joined together, compacted by that which every joint supplieth, according to the effectual working in the measure of every part, maketh increase of the body unto the edifying of itself in love. You see, as the body, is, is, as the body grows and is in good health, it functions together in oneness. Each part helping the other part. You know, Isaiah talked about how the, 
gold, or the the uh, goldsmith and sword uh, encouraged the carpenter, and I can't remember how that passage goes. But they all, but the the idea was they all worked together for the. Uh, um, I think they were um, uh, redoing or cleansing the t- the uh, temple. Uh, that had been damaged, and they all work together for the good of the temple. And you see, as we are as we are matured in Christ or perfected, we work together as one, not a bunch of little splinter groups. You know, when when you have various doctrines in the church, you're always in danger of of of, of splits. So it's a place where we are perfected. It's a place also to bring our tithes and offerings. Now, in the Old Testament, of course, this was the temple in the uh, uh, tabernacle in Malachi chapter 3 and, and verse uh, eight, 8 through 10. says, Will a man rob God? Yet ye have robbed me. But ye say, Wherein we have robbed thee? In tithes and offerings. Ye are cursed with a curse, for ye have robbed me, even this whole nation, Bring ye all the tithes into the storehouse, and there may be meat in mine house. And prove me now herewith, saith the Lord of hosts, if I will not open to you the windows of heaven, pour you out a blessing, that there shall not be room enough to receive it. So in the Old Testament, the, the, the storehouse, of course, was a tabernacle or the temple. They were to bring their tithes and their offerings there and, and give them to the priests. And, of course, from that, the priests sustained their livelihood and their ministry. And, you know, when that was abandoned, the priests had to go to the fields. And the tabernacle was forsaken. Uh, of course, in the New Testament, it is again the church. In First Corinthians chapter nine, Paul instructed the and using Old Testament illustrations, instruct, instructed the church at Corinth. And I'm not going to read it all for sake of time. But in in First Corinthians nine, in verse seven, he says, "Who goeth a warfare at any time at his own charges? Who planteth a vineyard and eateth not of the fruit thereof? Or who feedeth a flock and eateth not of the milk of the flock?" Say I these things as man, or saith not the law the same also? For it is written in the law of Moses, Thou shalt not muzzle the ox that treadeth out the corn. Doth God take care for oxen? Or saith he it altogether for our sakes? For our sakes, no doubt, this is written, that he that ploweth should plow in hope, and that he sh- that thresheth in hope should be partaker of his hope. And then verse 14 says, Even so hath the Lord ordained that they which preach the gospel should live of the gospel. Uh, and, of course, First Timothy chapter 5, again, he refers to the Old Testament. And there he uh, states in verse 17 and 18, Let the elders that rule well be counted worthy of double honor, especially they who labor in the word and doctrine. For the scripture saith, Thou shalt not muzzle the ox that treadeth out the corn, and the laborer is worthy of his reward. So the, the church is, you know, the people are to bring their tithes and offerings to the church for the expenses and provide for the needs of the ministry. And, of course, the pastor and so on, uh, and the needs of the church. You were back in Bible times, they didn't have buildings, but now we have buildings to take care of as well. So, so that's the place, the place to bring our tithes and offerings. It's also a place, the place, where we are strengthened. If you notice in Psalm chapter 20, verses 1 and 2 again, <clears throat> Psalm 20, verses 1 and 2, there are two words here again. The Lord hear thee in the day of trouble. The name of God, the God of Jacob, defend thee. Send thee help from the sanctuary and strengthen thee out of Zion. 
Now, the word defend in verse 1 means to set on high. It's the idea of giving a place or making a place of power. To set on high or to protect. The word strengthen means to sustain, to aid. Uh, and so he says here that he would strengthen thee out of Zion and send thee help from the sanctuary. Psalm 91 verse 14 says, Because he has set his love upon me, therefore I will deliver him, and I will, therefore I will deliver him. Yeah, and I can't remember how the rest of it goes. I was going to quote it. Um, I w- set him on high because he, hath, because he hath known my name. So the idea again is set up or, or make powerful. So we come to the, when we come to the assembly... I want you to think about this a little bit. When we come to the assembly, do you not get a sense of divine favor? I mean, after the message Sunday morning from Romans chapter 8, did you get a sense that you were favored by God? I mean, if God be for us, who can be against us? You know, we are favored by God. We are set up by God. We have a, we have a, heightened position, a highest position, if you will. We are seated in the heavenlies, Ephesians 2 tells us. You know, we're, we're secured in the use of spiritual privileges. We have, we have uh, blessings in heavenly places, Ephesians 1 tells us. You know, so we are firmly fixed or firmly established in the Lord. Nothing can change it. Nothing. Nothing can separate us the love of Christ. You know, and, and the sanctuary is where we are strengthened or where we are reminded or remember that. A classic example of this is Psalm 73. Go to Psalm 73. <clears throat> you know, when you're out there in the world for a period of time, without coming to the assembly or the church, you can get discouraged. You can get feeling down. In Psalm 73, the psalmist says, Truly God is good to Israel, even such as of our clean heart. But as for me, my feet were almost gone. My steps had well nigh slipped. For I was envy at the foolish when I saw the prosperity of the wicked. There are no bands in their death. Their strength is firm. They are not in trouble as other men, neither are plagued like other men. Therefore pride compasseth them about as a chain. Violence cometh them as a garment. They stand, their eyes stand out with fatness. They have more than heart could wish. They are corrupt and speak wickedly concerning oppression. They speak loftily. They set their mouth against the heavens, and their tongue walketh through the earth. Therefore his people return hither, and the waters of a full cup are wrung out. And they say... How doth God know? Is there knowledge in the Most High? Behold, these are the ungodly who prosper in the world. They increase in riches. Does that sound like something you're familiar with? Is it true? Yes, it's true. We see it all the time. And you can get envious of it, at that, at them. Verse 13, verily, verily, I have cleansed my heart in vain and washed my hands in innocency. 
For all the day long have I been plagued and chastened every morning. If I say, I will speak thus, behold, I shall fend against the generation of children. When I thought to know this, it was too painful for me until I went into the sanctuary. Then understood I their end. Then understood I their end. You see, he said, until I went into the sanctuary, and I reminded or remembered their end, I quit being envious. I was just foolish. Surely thou didst set them in slippery places, thou cast them down in destruction. How are they brought in desolation? As in a moment they are utterly consumed with terrors. As a dream when one awaketh, so, O Lord, when thou awakest, thou shalt despise their image. Thus my heart was grieved, and I was pricked in my reins. So foolish was I and ignorant. I was as a beast before thee. Nevertheless, I am continually with thee. Thou hast hold me by my right hand. Thou shalt guide me with thy counsel, and after receive me to glory. Whom have I in heaven but thee? And there is none upon earth that I desire beside thee. My flesh and my heart faileth. But God is the strength of my heart and my portion forever. For lo, they that are far from thee shall perish. Thou hast destroyed all them that go a-whoring from thee. But it is good for me to draw near to God. I have put my trust in the Lord that I may declare all thy works. See, when we go into the sanctuary, we're strengthened. We're reminded of reality, of our destiny, of what we have in Christ, our Lord, and what our future really is, and what we even have now. And so it is a place where we are strengthened. It's a place where we hear the counsel of God. Notice verse 4, Grant thee according to thine own heart, and fulfill all thy counsel. The word grant means to cause to receive. So we're to cause to receive all thy counsel. All thy counsel. You know, Paul, in, when he was speaking to the Ephesian elders on his way to Jerusalem the last time, in Acts chapter 20, in verses 26 and 27, Paul said this, he said, Wherefore I take you to record this day, that I am pure from the blood of all men. For I have not shunned to declare unto you all the counsel of God. Now I want you to think about those two verses. He said, I am pure from the blood of all men, for, or because of, I have not shunned to declare unto you all the counsel of God. So that begs me to ask a question. If pastors don't declare all the counsel of God, may they be guilty of lives of some? You know, if Jesus had watered down the gospel just a little bit, the rich young ruler would have joined his church. Oh, that's okay. You don't have to tithe here. You can be a robber. Really? No, he addressed the sin of his life because he needed to realize that that alone would condemn him you know well I you know I've heard this well I just preach the gospel what is that define it well it's the death burial and resurrection of Christ well what does death mean 
What is death? Isn't it a denial of self? What is a barrel? What's involved in a barrel or the uh, burial or the what? You know, what's the symbolism of baptism? We are buried with Him. What's the symbolism there? I'm burying me. I'm burying me to live no more. And of course, the resurrection speaks of new life or changed life or transformed life. I haven't been the same since. See, there should be a change when a person gets saved or receives the gospel. You know, this idea of, I just preach the gospel, I don't preach any rest of the Bible. No, you don't. Because it's all part of it. Go to Matthew chapter 5. You know, think about the sermons that Jesus preached. Matthew chapter 5. I'm afraid there's a lot of preachers in trouble. Not in trouble with me either, in trouble with the Lord. Matthew chapter 5, verse 17 says, Think not that I am come to destroy the law or the prophets, for I am not come to destroy, but to fulfill. Verily I say unto you, till heaven and earth pass, one jot or one tittle shall no wise pass from the law, till all be fulfilled. Whosoever therefore shall break one of these least commandments, and shall teach men so, he shall be called the least in the kingdom of heaven. But whosoever shall do and teach them, the same shall be the greatest in the kingdom of heaven. Now this sermon is chapter 5, 6, and 7. We call it the Sermon on the Mount. And in this context of the sermon, there are things in this sermon which many would call minor issues. In chapter 6, verse 16, talks about fasting. In chapter 6, verse 19 to 24, he talks about covetousness. In verses 25 to 34, talks about worrying about our needs. Now, most preachers I know would say those are minor issues. And we just keep on the major things. We don't worry about the minors. Or, you know, baptism, you know, that's a minor issue. That's, you know, that's the ecumenical crowd and fundamentalist crowd say, you know, we can, we can all get together on the basic five fundamentals. You know, the virgin birth, the resurrection of Christ, the inspiration of Scripture, the deity of Christ, and... Um, I can't remember what, but baptism isn't one of those. Well, if baptism—if you baptize by pouring, you're denying the burial and res, the burial and resurrection of Christ. I don't think it's minor, because baptism is supposed to say, "I believe in the burial and the death and the resurrection of Christ," by an act that symbolizes that very thing. In fact, look at Matthew chapter 28, verse 20. Matthew 28, verse 20. <clears throat> Most just gloss over these, these verses and really only emphasize verse 19, which says, Go ye therefore and teach all nations. So we're to teach them the doctrines of salvation, baptizing them in the name of the Father, and the Son, and the Holy Ghost, teaching them to observe all things. Whatsoever I have commanded you, and lo, I am with you always, even unto the end of the world. Amen. Now look at John chapter 16 and verse 13. You know, this is, this is, this is throughout the scriptures. 
John 16, 13 says, Howbeit when he, the spirit of truth, has come, he will guide you into all truth. All truth. For he shall not speak of himself, whatsoever he shall hear, that shall he speak, and he will show you things to come. So all truth, we're talking about all the counts of God. Peter told us in 2 Peter chapter 1, we have all things that pertain to life and godliness through the knowledge of him who hath called us to glory and virtue. That's 2 Peter 1 verse 4. And then in chapter 3 of 2 Peter, in verses 14 through 16, he talks about some things that are hard to understand. But I want you to notice what he says about him in 2 Peter 3, verse 14. Wherefore, beloved, seeing you look for such things, be diligent that you be found of him in peace without spot and blameless, and account that the long-suffering of our Lord is salvation, even as our beloved brother Paul, according to the wisdom given unto him, hath written unto you, as also in all his epistles, speaking of them of these things, in which are some things hard to be understood, which they that are unlearned and unstable rest. And the word rest means they twist it. They pervert it. And notice what the rest of the verse says. As they also do to the other scriptures under their own destruction. Now, so to reject, I take from that, that to direct, to reject portions of scripture because we don't want to do it, raises concerns or questions about the reality of our relationship with the Lord. In fact, that was the problem, I believe, with the Hebrews. Look at Hebrews chapter 6. Hebrews chapter 6. See, it's, it's, we're to hear all the counts of God. You know, they were, the, the children of Israel were commanded to obey all the offerings, all the sacrifices, even little minute details. They were given details. That had to do with their lives. God has given details in his word in the New Testament about how we are to live in this world. It isn't a matter of whether we like him or not. It's a matter of we all love the Lord. In Hebrews chapter 6 verse 1, Therefore, leaving the principles of the doctrine of Christ, you know, the, uh, the, the doctrines of salvation, let us go on to perfection, not laying again the foundation of repentance from dead works and of faith toward God. Not going back and doing these same things over again. Of the doctrine of baptism, of laying on of hands, and of a resurrection of the dead, and of the eternal judgment. Those are all things that have to do with salvation. And this will we do if God permit. For it is impossible for those who are once enlightened, have tasted the heavenly gift, and were partakers of the Holy Ghost, and have tasted the good word of God and the powers of the world to come, if they shall fall away to renew them again in repentance, seeing they crucified themselves, the Son of God afresh, and put him to an open shame. Now, the point here I believe that Paul is making is this. What Jesus said to John chapter 8, verse 31, he said, If ye continue in my word, then are ye my disciples indeed. You remember in the one of the, the parable of the seed and the sower, <clears throat> there was uh, the seed on the stony ground, which received the, with, with joy, the word, received the word with joy, and sprouted and sprang up. But by and by they were, uh, what, offended. They were offended. 
give it away. You know, Jesus talked about those who, who uh, suffer it by violence. In other words, nothing. They would allow nothing to take the gospel away from them. Violent suffer it by force is the idea there. That's how the states it. Nothing. So, you know, the place, the church, is the place for all the counsel of God. We ought to hear all the counsel of God. And, and we ought to receive it. Uh, and then, finally, lastly, it's a place of divine assurance. Notice verses 5 through 8 of Psalm 20. It says, We will rejoice in thy salvation. In thy name of our God will we set up our banners. The Lord fulfill all thy petitions. Now know I that the Lord saveth his anointed. He will hear from his holy heaven with the strength, saving strength of his right hand. Some trust in chariots and some in horses. But we will remember the name of the Lord our God. They are brought down and fallen, but we are risen and stand upright. Save, Lord, let the king hear us when we call. You know, the, the, the church is a place of, of assurance. It gives us encouragement and assurance. And of course, insurance is the fruit of obedience. Jesus said in 1 John chapter 2, If you love me, keep my commandments. He that saith he abideth in him ought himself also so to walk, even as he walked. Hereby we do know that we know him, if we keep his commandments. Again, Asaph in Psalm 73, he, you know, it's when he went into the sanctuary, then he understood. It's when we went to the sanctuary, we see things from God's view, from reality. It's from reality. Then understood I therein. You know, the reality is, we are accountable for our actions. There are consequences and or rewards to our choices. That's reality. That's a reality the world doesn't want to accept. They don't want to accept it. They want to make all kinds of choices with no consequences and let somebody else pay for it. Yeah. Obamacare? Hello. And lots of other things. You know, the world may be filled with chaos and confusion. You know, they ask, is there God or did I evolve? Is there one God or many gods? And one way to God or many ways to God? I don't know, who knows? Am I a boy or a girl? Some are asking that question. Some are even asking, do I marry a man or a woman? Can we be certain that A is right and B is wrong? Well, the world says, well, um, 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 we don't know. That's confusion. No, the psalmist said, now know I, the Lord saveth us. Now I know. And we can know right from wrong. We can have that assurance and we can have that confidence. You know, he said, some trust in chariots, some in horses. 
but we will remember the Lord our God. You know, we don't need, we don't need help from the world. Horses is a picture of the strength of the world. You remember when they were coming out of Egypt and, and taking possession of the land, God told Joshua, you hoe all the horses. Hawk the horses. Still not sure how that word's pronounced. I've looked it up three or four times and nobody knows for sure. It's an old English word. But it means to cut their hamstring. And you ruin it. Because they were not to depend on horses. They were to depend on the Lord their God. See, we don't need horses. What we need is our God. We need to simply put our confidence in Him and, and obey and meet at the place that He has appointed to do what He's appointed us to do. You know, in the Old Testament, it was a tabernacle in the temple. In the New Testament, it's a church or the churches. You know, it's been my observation. When people think they have something, find something better in the church, usually the ends are not good. The end is not good. And I've seen it young and old. And the consequences have been the same. Well, we need to have confidence in the Lord and obey the Lord and worship Him at His appointed place. It is for our good, for our strength, for our help. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we do thank you again for the time in your word tonight. Thank you for the encouragement that we find in your word. I pray that you'd help us, Father, to see the importance of the sanctuary, to make it a priority in our life for our good and for thy glory. We do pray in Jesus' name.